2022 and welcome to episode 68 of the Brown and Black podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Happy New Year, Mike. Happy 2022, bro. <laughs> Crazy saying that number. It, it is. It's like we're in the future. Just to say 2022, it sounds like the future. I, I, as a kid, that this is I would have this is the future. And and we're in the pre-dystopian era. So. What do you think people in 1922 said about the future a hundred years from now? Do you think it lived up to expectations? Well, that's a very good question because I think the reality is a lot of the science fiction authors who were writing in the, the turn of the century, all those books they were writing about, you know, from what Jules Verne, Aldous Huxley, uh, uh, you know, Brave New World, George Orwell, they were writing about how humanity would be. Yes, we've got technological advancements, but has humanity evolved as much as it should have? I'd say no. So Mike, 2022 begins with a lot of interesting things happening in the world of pop culture. Also, race has reared its ugly head, and it might be happening over at NPR. But did you hear about the Grammys? This Omicron thing is, uh, dude, it's getting out of control. I just heard the other day, I think it was on NPR, that 90 to 95% of everyone who has COVID so far is an Omicron COVID. And CES, which is like one of the biggest events that America has for consumer and technology uh, in Vegas, they're open. They're open. They're like, we're going to super protocols. We're going to do that. We're going to make sure that everybody's fine, but we're going to limit the amount of people that come here in Vegas. Dude, that means I have to get on a plane. Then I have to stay in a hotel. Then I have to go to that event. I, I mean, and then I got to come back. At what point do I think that I'm going to be completely safe from Omicron? Unless I'm somebody who doesn't believe in COVID, that doesn't believe in vaccinations. I'm just trying to wrap my head for the people that actually are going. Why risk your health? So the Grammys were going to happen January 31st in LA. They postponed indefinitely they're not even rescheduling it mike not even and then the sundance film festival which just like last week was resistant to continuing the festival today they're like yeah that's not gonna happen we're going virtual again and i'm sure they, they weren't happy about it uh, i think this is a community that needs to be around other people you know and sponsorship dollars i think uh it's also a big thing because how do you offer somebody a lot of money for a virtual event as opposed to an in-person event? So maybe they might have to scale back the money. I don't know. But the Golden Globes that were going to take place without, uh, that, that were going to happen without NBC, now all of a sudden, they're still going to do the, the, the award show, but no celebs, no press. No audience in attendance, and that's because no celebrities have agreed to take part of the... Of course the not. 
But dude, Mike, you say of course not, but then you see the Spider-Man $1 billion blockbuster in the pandemic and you ask yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, I don't know, 100 million people went to go see that movie, why wouldn't anybody go to the Golden Globes or the Sundance Film Festival or the Grammys. You're going to see Spider-Man. You don't care sitting next to somebody breathing their sneezes and touching, you know, their viruses. You don't care about that. So, Dude, why? You want do you really want me to go in go in deep on that? Okay? Cuz I'll go in deep yeah. on that. First of all, first of all, I think Spider-Man was in the right place at the right time. I think that that we had gotten to the point in this past fall, a month ago, two months ago, where we were feeling a little overconfident. We had just had a summer. Things had been going down. We thought, you know, we dodged a bullet, okay? Even with all our stupidity and division and politicizing of this thing, we dodged a bullet. We only had, you know, we didn't have a billion people die. We had, whatever, 800,000. But Spider-Man came along and people had not gone to the movies and we'd all gotten used to like shopping with masks on going to movies with masks. We, we just got you. We have normalized. But Mike, I, 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 I got interrupted yeah. for one second. No time to die was in the theaters before Spider-Man. The Eternals dude, dude, was on. Who cares about Spider-Man. the Eternals? Okay. No time to die. But it's a Marvel film and it's James Bond. Why didn't anybody go to those movies? And then Guillermo del Toro, West Side Story, all of these in the hype, all these other movies that I'm could have made millions during the summer. I'm telling you why. All right. Second, f- first of all, I think there there was a certain point, like like I said, I think it was the right place at the time, right time. I think nothing had really gotten people going. Nothing had really been exciting. That's one. Two, people go for pure escapism. There's nothing about Spider-Man that is any way shaped touched on reality what about the matrix resurrections all right matrix resurrections is a whole other thing flop came out almost at the same time it's a, it came out after okay, a week later now, a week later look a week in omicron is a lot a lot that's millions of people infected in a week so i just think that spider-man was in the right place i think spider-man actually contributed to omicron i think spider-man was a super spreader event worldwide i mean <laughs> let's be real that's what spider-man no was. one has really touched upon that subject it's clearly you know? come on how many people got infected in that one billion dollar box office juggernaut of amount of attendees globally that were just infecting themselves and now we're starting to see the repercussions of it yeah, I just heard that in California they hit the two hundred thousand mark of people infected in a single day, and that's California, the whole state of California. That's, that's California. I, I mean, the U.S. broke records on Monday of a million. All of that, you know, Spider Man, and let's not even talk about if they were going to put in any kind of mandates, it should have been before the holidays. You know, the the idea that people are traveling throughout the holidays, and then how many New Year's Eve parties did you see? Uh, I mean, it's just it's insane so it's not going to go away I, I i also think though that spider-man i i agree with you i think it was an aberration I, I i can't see something repeating that success there's been so many dynamics socially professionally uh that have changed that it, it it's just like it's almost confusing to kind of 
be alive right now. You don't know if you should be happy or you should still be kind of stressed. I feel like we're in in an orange state of alert, right? So we're in the middle. I agree a thousand percent. As a matter of fact, I'll go further to say it's you don't even know what reality is anymore. Yeah, you man. Know, if if when you can't trust your information sources uh whether it's news media social media whatever, wherever you get your information if you can't trust it if it's not biased if it's not telling you the truth or you get to a point where you just don't trust it then you're just deciding on what reality is so you'll go to the new year's eve party anyway yeah it's your reality and you don't care it's sad because i found more and more recently people who i consider to be of a similar mindset no they didn't get vaccinated and then they got covid Dude, not only COVID, but I just found out this week alone, a friend that I'm doing a project with just texted me saying, hey, by the way, I got COVID and my throat feels like I've been swallowing razor blades. That's how bad it feels for the people that are vaccinated, right? And then someone um, at uh, my bank, one of the tellers she says to me that I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. It's almost like you want to die because the pain is so much. It found out a, a family friend, his, uh, his headache was so bad. It was like a bat for like a week that he wanted to just snap his head off and put it in a freezer to calm down. It, this is no joke. And so for any institution that wants to continue trying to pull off an event, because of sponsor press uh, pressure uh, or or because they just want to get together with people and make everything feel normal again. Dude, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And you see, that's the thing. The three factors I think have contributed to this one, okay, is yes, people don't want to get vaccinated and then people don't want to wear masks because uh, I don't understand. I understand not wanting to get vaccinated. I understand not wanting to wear masks. And this is Latinos too. Oh, because you've you been kidding? telling me that it's this black is and Latino. all over your neighborhood. It's, listen, the two people, two people, the, the friend who passed and my super, both Latino, both unvaccinated, both. Uh, the, the, my friend who passed, okay, he got COVID because he attended a funeral of a cousin of his who died of COVID. Oh, People God, think, oh, it's milder, yeah. it's this, it's that. So like you said, it's it, it, I, the other the other two factors, and as I said, the three factors, you know, one, people don't want to get vaccinated, don't want to wear masks. The other factor is that I, I think people just, they're, it's like they're in denial. They, they, they just, they don't want to deal with the reality. And then the third factor is money. You know, we, we all heard how the CDC makes their decision because the airlines are like, yeah, we need people to come back to work. And yeah, so we can pack the flights. And meanwhile, airlines are, are, are canceling flights. They canceled another 1,400 flights or whatever yesterday. And so what does that mean? That means that the airports are even more crowded and even more packed. And the planes that get you on are even more crowded and even more packed. So all we're doing, we're, we're literally manufacturing the disease and just spreading yeah. it further. It's like, that's what we're doing. Our entire society is set up, but there's people making money. We've got Doesn't to matter. keep things normal. That's the only there's way we're going to well, raise our it's profits. It's not even normal. It, that's it. We got to we got to capitalism, guys. If we shut down one more time, our businesses will go under. I won't be able to buy my yacht tomorrow. Damn it. I've been looking for it for my birthday. It's my 50th. And damn, dude, how many times you wonder, have you read about how, oh, people aren't going back? It was in the New Yorker, uh, I believe, or, or the something like that, where I, I got to read this quote to you. This is the quote. 
Okay, this was in USA Today. And people can put off their return to the workforce because they're still living off government stimulus checks or generous unemployment benefits doled out earlier in the health crisis. So 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 this is like a real thing. It, it's it's like people are like, yo, I'm flush, baby. I don't need to go back to work. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I don't want to go back to being a wage slave. But I, I mean, come on. But we, we, you know, we already found out that the real reason for the great resignation, I think it's already been summed up, is that low wage working class workers found an opportunity to actually make more money and in other industries. And so the battle for these free agents, quote unquote, um, was really elevated. I mean, this didn't necessarily happen with the, you know, the elite, the executives, you know, senior leadership, but this really happened there. But that tone deafness, though, you know, like, have you been getting those emails from like studio publicists begging us to go back to the movie theaters? Like, I just got one for Scream. Oh, yeah. Scream is one of the... Scream, me too. I'm like, yeah, no way. Scream is one of the most anticipated movies of 2022 in terms of popularity. People are talking about it. People want to see it. Um, You know, nostalgia, everything else. Melissa Barrera from In the Heights, she's leading that, a Hispanic American. But bro, I am not going into a movie theater now no freaking to go way. see one. Why, no why, why, do I, why do you guys want me to go for a movie? See, and, and what you're getting at there, like the, the whole idea, you say why the, the, if people would go to see Spider-Man, uh, why are celebrities not going to these Grammys? Why are they not going? And because who's going to watch these things? Who, who, who cares? Entertainment. How much entertainment is completely frivolous? Okay, the most frivolous of entertainment has to be award shows. I mean, yeah, it's fun to see the celebrity, but if they've it, social media destroyed all the the lure of seeing a celebrity, you can see I can see what Madonna's doing right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, and it's a, it's an old tradition that's slowly dying out, man. The numbers just keep on saying it, and so the Grammys. Look, the Grammys one day might just become like in like, like an internet show, just like a web show, you know, or maybe a show that just appears on. Live on Twitter, uh, and, and and who knows, man? But the future of the way we're consuming things is accelerating and changing so damn fast that it's hard to predict something today when things by tomorrow there's like new rules and new innovation. So crazy, man, crazy. Mike, listen, I wanted to talk to you about the big story uh, in media this week, and it has to do with race and pop culture, and I wanted to get your take on it because it has to do with the radio industry. So you might have heard that Audie Cornish, she is one of the star hosts of NPR's All Things Considered, and she's been there like for over 20 years. Um, She's a person of color. And um, she quit, man. And a co-host and a friend, Ari Shapiro, that also works uh, at NPR, essentially wrote something very interesting on his Twitter that said, hey, listen, I'm on vacation and not planning on staying glued to Twitter, but just wanted to let everybody know on why we're hemorrhaging so many hosts from marginalized backgrounds at NPR. And that caught the attention of the media. 
and everybody started writing about it. And Mike, a lot of people have been sort of baffled at why NPR has not tried to keep these hosts. There's an argument that says that public radio can't expect to keep talent as a non-profit in an increasingly competitive audio industry. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, man, you're a, you're, you're a person of color. Uh, you've been in the radio industry for a long time, especially public radio. Why is this happening? Why is it that they're not fighting for these Black and Latina hosts uh, to stay a part of them? What is it about the industry that doesn't allow that to happen? Or is it just like, yo, we're glad that people of color are leaving. We want to be a completely white public radio institution. Like, what is going on? I think you answered your own question. I can only speak on this, but so much, because I am absolutely aware of, let's just say, the culture at NPR. But what is the culture? For those of us that I don't know, I've never worked at NPR. I've never worked in, you know, FM, English language radio, only Spanish. But, but what is the culture? Let me put it as tactfully as possible, okay? Um, you just outlined a company that has been primarily white and primarily white-run uh, and primarily appealing to white audiences and primarily servicing the white community. And over the last 10, 15 years, even though they've had people of what, whatever, whatever they call the marginalized communities, people of color, whatever, whatever phrase they want to call the non-whites, the non-whites have been not only leaving, have been let go and have left, have left on their own. What kind of culture causes that? It's baffling, but it's not really baffling. How many other industries can you name? But we've seen changes in the media. We, like, like cable news has completely changed. The presidents of studios, news presidents like MSNBC and Rashida Jones. The magazine industry has changed and put African-Americans in positions of power in, in, in leadership. So much of media has changed uh, radio's like one of the oldest bullshit, traditional bullshit 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 media has not changed that much jack it hasn't it's changed on the face i mean you know it's the same as as people white people putting blm in their profile on social media have they changed have they changed are they doing anything to change the industry are they doing anything to change but isn't the way we change things by putting us in positions of power isn't that the change okay are we in positions of power at mbr well, this is what I'm saying. What happened? Where? It, why does it have a shield that we can't seem to enter and, and, and diversify it? Like people are leaving it, but they're not going in and changing it. And I'm just wondering why all these other institutions within the media entertainment field have changed, but NPR hasn't. Because NPR is uh, old media. It is old lefty media. It is old white media old white progressive media but that's Democrats. what it is doesn't matter oh come they on understand dude, dude they understand what <laughs> they understand that we can vote for them okay come on you know the the deal the, it's real i don't want to throw npr under the bus but yeah there's a reason why uh latino usa is at prx and not at npr 
There's a reason why uh, um, Code Switch. There's a reason why Audie Cornish left. There's a reason why all the half a dozen other people you named left. There's a reason why. They are all too professional to say anything more, but... How many people did you hear in the business talk about how Harvey Weinstein was an asshole? Okay, before it finally came out just how much of an asshole he was. So I, I think it's like anything else. I mean, if it if it you know, if it sounds like a duck and it quacks like a duck and 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 you know, there are little ducklings around, ah, you know, you gotta think that yeah, there's some duck happening there. You know, so I, I think that it's it's clear that NPR is not under the kind of leadership that would encourage and amplify voices of color. So a guy named Eric Newsom, who is a podcaster, uh, put out a thread of some thoughts of why he thinks that this sort of exodus by people of color from NPR is happening. And he says... Public radio's leaders need to understand that people don't follow money. They follow vision. Full stop. Talented people leave because they look around and look at the future leaders articulate and see a more exciting vision elsewhere. The irony is that vision doesn't cost a dime. Okay, how do you define vision? The vision could be a ceiling. The vision or lack of vision could be a ceiling for where you can go in a company. The vision can be like, okay, all we're ever going to get is like 15 minutes a week on the show as people of color. We're never going to be able to, if you're somebody that works in a media outlet and you know, as well as I do, Jack, what makes you leave a media outlet? It's when you bring stories that would be of interest, when you bring topics, when you bring uh, a vision for coverage and it's shot down. And then you find out you're not going to advance. You're not going to advance there. They're not going to pay you more. They're not going to, to raise you from being pundit to contributor. They're just going to keep utilizing you, making themselves look good by having you out there representing them. And again, I come back to... So it's all a veneer. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's coming back to like a white person who is doing absolutely nothing to, to address systemic racism saying BLM on their social media. That's nice, but what does that mean? Nothing. Yeah, that you're, person of, you're a white person that appreciates people of color at a distance. Right. And front facing, how, how does it look? You know, they, they have, they, there's a phrase called greenwashing when you take an unhealthy product and, and, and act as if it's all organic and green and it's a lie. I mean, they do it with spring water all the time. You read up anything on, on bottled water. Yeah. It, it, you read anything on bottled water and you know, it's all a scam. Okay. But people accept it. It's, it's the acceptable scam. It's the scam, you know, like, yeah, like social media. We know it hurts right. us, but right. <laughs> don't tell me I can't use it. Exactly. Everything about our society in my opinion is about reality is not something we're looking to embrace but the image when people put stuff out or people don't put out i've been having a really bad day and look how bad my hair is they'll put out like look just went to the party look i'm having a beautiful meal look you know they, they want to look their best and then they're going to go in and, and tweak the photos so it looks even better so I, I feel like NPR, you know, they may have tweaked their photo. They may have had some black faces, but clearly if they, they had black and Latino uh, people working for them and these people have left, uh, yeah, you could call it a lack of vision. 
I'd say it's lack of opportunity, lack of actual effort being made to address. I'm just aghast. That's just my take. That's my take. I, I, I'm aghast that after Floyd and after everybody has been like, let's double down and hire more black and Latino representation in media. Because that, that that's where the underrepresentation is in America. I'm shocked that they have completely wiped their ass with that. <laughs> Well, they, they, it's. I'm just like, how do you ignore that and think that you're going to be a great recruiter of people of color in there, especially now? I, I feel like they didn't think they had to because if if she's been there since 2005, they feel like, look, we were on that train before everybody else. So we, what do we got to do? Yeah, but the times are different, Mike. And all I'm saying is, if you're allowing stars to leave your network because they're disposable expendable you're replacing them with who and whoever comes in is not going to be a star right off the bat because how many radio isn't you know the 1940s anymore you don't have that many stars to begin with you have to mold them develop them and it takes years you already have homegrown stars and you're letting them go after floyd and you're a white liberal institution media company my brain can't seem to comprehend any of this. Well, I, 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 you make me feel like I'm a cynic because I, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's not that surprising. But again, I, I, like I said, I do have a little bit of inner knowledge. To, I, I, let's just say they have not always treated the, the, the people that were in their network the way they should. They're people of color. And uh, clearly, the evidence is out there. If there was somewhere to go, these people would have gone there. So uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk to you about your favorite movies of 2021 and what you've liked, what you haven't liked. I got a couple of movies and, and TV shows uh, that uh, that I liked throughout the year, you know, that I would call like the, the best things that I've seen. Anything that comes to your mind really quick? Well, yeah, there are a few things that come to mind. I mean, I will say this was not my favorite year. For film, I didn't have anything that I loved, loved, loved. There are a number of films I like for a number of reasons, you know, in, including the new Spider-Man. But probably if I were going to name one or two, I'll just name one because I want to hear some of yours. I really did like King Richard. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call. Said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? 
Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I wrote me a 78-page plan for their whole career before they was even born. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> These girls so great, how come I've never heard of them? They're from Compton. It's okay. They're just not used to seeing good-looking peoples like us. She's nervous. Make a step up. Maybe she ought to take a few more steps up. Just get someplace safe. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next, too. This next step you got to take. You're not gonna just be representing you, you're gonna be representing every little black girl on earth. They're not gonna let you doubt. How could you? This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they're gonna respect y'all. You walk out there with your head up. You are a champion, and the whole world know it. The most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Yes, Daddy. Ain't nothing she can't do. You want to show them how dangerous you are? Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? Hey, Daddy. Serena Williams, <laughs> who is your best friend? Venus. Then you. Then you, after Venus. Uh, I liked it for a lot of reasons. I, I, I felt that, that it had uh, a lot to say about perseverance, about believing in yourself, about having a vision, uh, and, and, you know, and about commitment like you, you started the show with. Uh, I thought Will Smith really gave probably one of the strongest performances of his career. I, I like the choices he made. And I, I, I enjoyed seeing a story about uh, a black man, a black family, an imperfect person who was able to achieve against all the adversity and everything this society has against you when you're a person of color. So That'd be one of my tops. What about you? What's 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 I want to hear a Jack Rico fade. Well, there is a TV show that's right now on Amazon Prime. It's from Gloria Calderon Kellett, which I interviewed on the Highly Relevant podcast. It was a great conversation that I had with her about the show. But really, she's like probably the most powerful Latina showrunner. So a writer, producer, a woman that gets shows made. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we, we were... We were just playing around. She's like the female, like the female Latina John Hughes. You know, we, we call her Juanita Hughes. And we talked about the show with love, which is an hour romantic dramedy series about two siblings, uh, a female and male who's gay, and they're Latino. Hi, mom. I told Carmela about your breakup. What? She's gonna tell everybody. I heard about your breakup. Well, who needs Bumble when you have a bunch of Latinos doing the dirty work for you? I, I don't need no man. Let me introduce you to someone well-educated. That's my cousin. You're nervous. I'm meeting like 10 family members. Try 30 plus. Be afraid. 
They're okay that I'm down with the D as long as the D is, is not, not the, the devil. devil. I hope you're hungry. I made some carnitas that'll make you see the face of God. I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, but it's not beef. It's pork. I need Lily Diaz to the dance floor. Love could be right in front of you, but if you aren't open, you won't see it. Our Valentine's Day special is $75 for two. I'm writing solo. Like the song? It's our normal fee of $50 per person. A 50% markup for being alone. Because the greatest sin one can commit is being single. Because I'm without a companion, I'm gonna be taxed. See? He gets it. I didn't catch your name. Santiago. Well, what's someone as charming as you doing alone on Valentine's Day? It just never felt magical. Love can be great, but it's definitely not magic. People will surprise you if you let them. Sometimes it feels like I'm not only dating you, but your entire family as well. Your family hides everything. God forbid anyone ever admits something's wrong. I can build my life with someone that is so glass half empty. To getting out of our own way. Love is messy and complicated. What do I do now? Padre? Can I help you? Is there not someone always in there? It's from five to seven. You could put that on a sign. <laughs> Sorry about that. They're a Mexican-American family and bro, it takes place over the course of five episodes and each episode is a holiday. So it starts with Christmas, then it goes into New Year's Eve, uh, Valentine's Day, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that show is the future of Latinx content. It's a show that presents the Latino family in, a, in an American light. Right. And you could then say, yeah, but they're really whitewashed. Dude, I'm sick of this white. So just because you adopt American sensibilities doesn't damn mean that you're an Aryan white person. We don't get the perks of it. We don't get the benefits of it. It's just a style. It's an aesthetic. It's a way of behavior. And there's mannerisms for that and everything else. Accents. You don't sound like someone that just got into the country, a foreigner. You sound like someone who's lived here, who was born here, who's native here. An American. Americans aren't just white. So this presents the Latino family with, an, with, with a real strong American sensibility. They're from, dude, they're from Portland, Oregon. And what I love about the show is that the Latina woman isn't falling in love with necessarily a Latino man. She's falling in love with an Asian. So there's that like, Asian Latino love lust affair going on. Um, they have trans love with hetero love. Um, they have, you know, an Asian man and a gay man falling in love. I mean, th there's so much going on in terms of inclusivity, diversity, but with like this Nora Myers or I'm sorry, uh, Nancy Myers, Nora Ephron type of, you know, visual aesthetic. It's like that comfy sugar food that you want for the holidays that most Latino content isn't really based on. Like if you remember, if you look at Latino content, dude, it's always usually an immigrant story, right? And I think she was sick of that. Gloria was sick of that and said, hey, for the holidays, is it cool outside of the world being dark if we can stop with the dark stories too? Let's do something happy. 
And so I happen to think that she nailed it. If you're looking for the archetype of how an American Latino show can attract whites, Latinos, Blacks, Asians, and anyone else, but for American audiences, this is the show. She cracked the code. This is the show. And so I think it's it's my favorite of 2021. And anybody who gets a chance, the Afro-Latino representation here is bonkers. It's 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 really a special show, man. And I hope people get a chance to see it. Wow. And how many episodes is it? It's five. Hmm. Hmm. And it's on Amazon Prime. You guys can check it out now. It's a wonderful show. Bunch of stars. And if you want to listen to the interview with Gloria, you can just check it out on Highly Relevant. Uh, you can check it out on podcast or Spotify. Now, I do want to ask you, did you have any film, any one film that really stood out to you as one of the best films you saw last year? Yeah, another American Latino film, because I'm going to kind of stick with that and promote these films that that need that promotion. This one's from uh, um, the Bloomhouse crew. You know, the, the guys who did uh, Paranormal Activity. So they have a, a, a new film that came out in 2021 that I absolutely love. It's a horror film. and It's called Madres. We're home. I know it doesn't look like much, but I think this is going to be a great new start for us. Perfect place to start our family. What was that? Can't believe you left LA. It all worked out. The baby comes in a couple of months. You're first? Yes. How are you feeling? I got you this. It's very important for new mothers to be protected. Did you know the woman who worked here before us? I feel like I'm seeing things. The dizziness, hallucinations. Rashes. How long have you had this? What? The locals think it's a curse. Maldición! Women are not having babies here. Why are you doing this? And what I love about it is it's a horror film, but, you know, part of the tension is also the 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 tension and, and the dynamics between this Mexican-American wife and this Mexican immigrant married having a kid in the 1970s in California. And uh, they move to a migrating farming community and she starts feeling these strange symptoms and terrifying visions. So they're a little freaked out of what's going on and they need kind of help. So uh, there's a nice twist to the film, but in terms of the American-Latino story experience, man... This is absolutely wonderful because I've always wanted to see on screen what would happen if a Mexican-American and a Mexican got married. You know, 
a lot of Mexicans, you know, we asked this to George Lopez uh, one day. He said, yo, why don't you go ahead and just go to Mexico City, since you're Mexican, dude, and just do like a one-night exclusive George Lopez, you know, comedy stand-up special. He's like, nah, man, I would get booed out of there. You know, Mexican-American comedy and the experience of a Mexican-American, very different than the Mexican, which is same of what's happening with Puerto Rico and New Yorkans, right? And to see that on film being explored and and, and being kind of just like fleshed out in scenes, dude, was exciting to me. Very exciting to me. And to have that with good horror writing and scares, brother, this is a definite recommendation. It's from director Ryan Saragossa. It's on Amazon Prime, and you can watch it now. One of my favorite horror films, American Latino quality film that you'll enjoy. Mike, that's it for this 68th episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. 18- plus.